Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome, welcome to Renaissance. My name's Joe. I am uh, feeling a little amped right now, and I don't know if it's because I'm excited or nervous. It's been almost two years since I've gotten to do this. I, I, so, some of you I don't know, because since the last time I did this, you've started coming to the church. And I used to work here at Renaissance, and I got to do this thing, speak every four to six weeks on Sunday, and I enjoyed it, and I loved it, and I loved the privilege of being able to do it, and I'm honored to be able to be here again today to do it, because I, I love the church. And when, and when I say that, I, I don't just mean Renaissance, though I do love Renaissance. Renaissance is my home, you're my people, you're, you're my extended family, and I love, I love Renaissance, but when I say I love the church, what I also mean is I love, I love the the worldwide church, we sometimes say the big C church, the, the global church, the entire family of Jesus worldwide, Pentecostals, even them, Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, where are my Lutheran friends at? We have a lot of Lutheran people who come to Renaissance, which is amazing to me and awesome, and I love them. Somebody once told me where there's three or four Lutherans, there's sure to be a fifth, and I don't know if that's true. Some of you... <laughs> Think you'll get it later, but I don't know if that's true or not, but, but I, I love the church worldwide, Presbyterians, Catholics, all, all of them. I, I love it, and, and I love being a part of, of Jesus' church, which is why I'm very fortunate and blessed and thankful to be able to talk about this core value that we have here, which is loving people serve. And I, I love being able to talk about that. It's interesting because when we'd done this series in the past, it seems like that was the this was the week I always got, was loving people serve. And so I'm thankful to be able to talk about it again today. And so if you have a Bible with you, would you go ahead and turn in it to Revelation chapter 2. Don't get scared because we're turning to Revelation. Just as a side note, many of us are afraid to read the book of Revelation because we have an idea about it that seems like it's scary. I used to not want to read it because it used to scare me, and I used to be nervous about the things that were in it until I realized that if you get it out of your head that the book of Revelation is talking about helicopters and nuclear war and all of those things that could threaten our lives and realize that in the book of Revelation, what we have is a story about Jesus speaking to and encouraging and rescuing his people who are in the midst of some of the most intense persecution and difficulty that they'd ever experienced on the earth. Don't we need Jesus to do that for us right now? It would encourage us more than scare us, so that's for free. So, so read the book of Revelation that way, that it's, it's a message about Jesus wanting to be with his people and encourage them and let them know that, that no matter what happens in the world, he's in control. He's in charge. He's ruling and reigning. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. That's the message of the book of Revelation. It's not intended to scare us. In fact, in the first chapter, we're told by the author that for those of us who read it, we receive a blessing from reading it. And what greater blessing to know that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things. So 
If you'll open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 2, we'll also put the words up on the screen. I'm going to read. Some of it's going to feel and sound a little weird because there's a lot of symbolism in the book, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. So it says this, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, which was a city in what is now modern day Turkey, Jesus said to his good friend John, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Some of your Bibles might say you've left the love you had at first, or, or you abandoned the love you had at first. Consider how, far, or consider how far you've fallen and repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. And he goes on to give them a little bit more encouragement for the things that they're doing and then offers a promise to them. Uh, before we get in, and some of us in the room, some of you may be wondering, like, what does this have to do with loving people serve? And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But before we do that, I'd like to st- take a moment and pray and ask God to speak to us through the pages of his Bible and that he would use my, my feeble ability to communicate it. So would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that you have given us the Bible as your word. You've given it to us as a guide for our lives. You've given it to us as a full and complete revelation and unfolding of who your son Jesus is. I pray that today that's what we would see. I pray that's what we would experience, who your son Jesus is. I pray that you would use my feeble words to communicate the truth about your beloved son to us and to help us become more like him. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I, when I said earlier that I really love the church, that, that's a true thing, but I also say that knowing fully and completely that the church, and not just Renaissance, though this is true of Renaissance as well, is imperfect. Would you agree with that, that the, the church is imperfect? Our church is imperfect, I am imperfect. If you spend more than 10 minutes with me, you'll quickly realize that I am an imperfect person. And the church as a whole is imperfect because it's full of imperfect people. And so this is just the best we have to deal with, is ourselves, our imperfect selves, living with one another, and, and trying to figure out how to do life with each other. And in the midst of our imperfection, there are moments where Jesus will come to us, whether it's through reading the Bible or maybe through the words of someone else or, or maybe through him just revealing to us somehow that we've been wrong in a way and that we need to turn around, which is what the Bible calls repentance, and, and go back towards his way. And this is what's happening here in the book of Revelation. Jesus, he's communicating a message to a group of seven churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. And he, he has, who was one of his closest friends while he walked on the earth, a man named John, he has, he has him write these letters to these different churches. And that's kind of what the book of Revelation is. These first few chapters are these letters to these different churches. And what we find throughout of them is that most of the time Jesus is doing two things. He's coming along and he's offering some encouragement, telling them, hey, these are the things that you guys are doing really, really well. But he also comes along and says, these are the things that, that I think you need to work on. 
which is what we see here in the book of Ephesus. And what I know I often need from him in my life, I need to hear and know from God the things that I'm doing right because I need encouragement to keep going and to keep, keep moving forward. But I also need to hear from him because I'm so stubborn and I like doing things my own way and I am imperfect. I also need to hear from him many times the things that I'm doing wrong. And so we need his correction in our lives. And this is what he's doing here. So, so as we get in, Verse one of chapter two, it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, real, real quick, the symbolism that exists here, the word angel, uh, there's debate amongst scholars as to whether it's talking about a guardian angel of the church, which we don't really see that, that it exists in the Bible, that each church has a guardian angel. So maybe it's that, maybe it's not, maybe, maybe it's actually an, an angel who is sent to that region and, and watches over the city. We don't know. Some, some people think that it, it actually refers to the the leader, maybe the pastor, or the person who would be delivering this message to the church because the word angel literally means messenger. Some people think that's what it is. That's probably what I tend to lead towards, that Jesus is saying to the person who's gonna deliver this message to the church in Ephesus, say this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, what are these seven stars? Well, we learn in chapter one that Jesus refers to these angels or the messengers of the churches as his seven stars. And he tells us here that he's holding them in his right hand. Isn't it good to know that, that whenever he wants to use us to, to bring his message of truth to anyone else, that in spite of the, the difficulty that we might encounter in the midst of it, that Jesus is holding us in his hand. He said in the book of John that no one can pull his people from his hands. So if he's holding us in his hands, nothing can pluck us away from him. He says, I hold the seven stars in my right hand and I walk among the seven golden lampstands. We learn in chapter one that these lampstands are actually the churches that he's writing letters to. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm holding you in my right hand and I'm walking in you're missed. Isn't that comforting to know? Now, we say a lot that the church is not a building, it's the people. Like, we're the church. It isn't just this building. But know this, when we gather together one another as the church, whether it's in this building or anywhere else, when we're gathered together, we have a promise from the Bible that Jesus is in our midst. He, he's a real and living person who's here with us and he loves us and he cares about us and he actually wants to speak to us today. And that's my prayer. That that's what he'll do. And so he says this in verse two, I know your deeds. I know the things that you've been doing. I know the works, the good works that you do. Some of us are maybe in a place where, where we've been doing a lot of things for God for so long and we feel like no one sees, no one notices, no one knows what we've gone through, no one knows how much, how much blood, sweat, and tears we've put into it. But, but know this, Jesus knows. Jesus, see, Jesus sees you. He sees us wherever we are. He says, I know your deeds. I know what you've been up to. I know your hard work. I know how much time you've spent. I, I know how much labor you've put into it. I know that, that you have cried and sweat and bled over this. Jesus knows. And it doesn't matter if no one else in the world recognizes, if no one else ever comes along and pats us on the back and says, good job. What will matter to us one day when we stand before Jesus is hearing him say, I saw it all. 
I knew what you were doing. When you thought you, you were alone and no one could see you praying, when you thought that, that no one cared about you doing that small kind deed, when you wondered if anybody ever knew the impact that you had, Jesus knows. And he says that to them. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. And I know your perseverance. I know that you just won't give up. I know that you just won't quit. I know that you just keep going. I know that your faith is strong and that you've been faithful to me. Jesus says this. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. He says, I know that you cling to the truth with all you have and you will not love and believe a lie. He says, you've persevered and you've endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. So Jesus comes along and he kind of gives them, a, maybe you've heard of it, it's called a yes sandwich. It's where you say something nice and then say something difficult and say something nice again. Jesus feeds them a yes sandwich, but he's also, also in this yes sandwich, he's not afraid to just tell the truth, which I love that about Jesus. He's not afraid to come and get in our faces and say, hey, listen, I know all things. I know all things. Sometimes when, when we see something wrong and we feel like we have to confront it, we're limited by the fact that we are imperfect and we don't have all information. Jesus has all information. So he makes no imperfect judgments. He's fully prepared. He's fully ready to come along and say exactly what is true. I used to work for an attorney who said to me one time, whenever he goes into court, he makes sure that he's completely prepared. He has his arguments. He said he's rehearsed his arguments in front of a mirror so he can be completely prepared with all of the evidence. And he said, and every time I go in, I bury them. And he's been a hero of mine ever since. Now, Jesus doesn't come along and bury us with his words, but he, he is completely prepared because he's full of the truth and he knows exactly what we need to hear when we need to hear it. And he's never afraid to say it to us. He's not intimidated by us. He's not afraid to come along and say, you need, you need to change this, you need to correct this. And yet he does this. Very same thing to the church in Ephesus, these people who had been doing amazing things for him, which he just spent time telling them. And he says this in verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Jesus said, in spite of all the good that you've done, in spite of all, all that you've been putting effort towards me, I know that there's something that you've left behind. It's this love that you had at first. Now, what is this first love? We don't really know. Is it Jesus? Is it love for other people? Is it, is it love for the church? We don't really know, but I think that they had a specific love that Jesus was talking about. And I think that there are those of us in the room who, if we would think about what that is, Jesus would show us a specific thing that he would want us to return to. The specific love that they had, we don't know, but I can't help but when I, when I come to this topic of loving people serve, instead of trying to compel people to serve and get involved here at the church, which we have opportunities for you to do that, and we would love for you to get involved and serve here at the church, instead of compelling you to do that, I can't help but get over the phrase that it's loving people who serve. It's just not that people serve, it's actually that loving people serve. And this is what God would want from us, that, that in our service to him and to others and to the church, that we would be full of love, because if love is not our motivation, will fall apart. 
We eventually won't make it. He goes on to say this, if you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus would be threatening to us, I'll destroy you if you don't return to your first love. But I can say this, that the city of Ephesus today has no large Christian population. And I'm not suggesting that Jesus destroyed the church in Ephesus, but what I am saying is this, when, when we are not motivated by love in our actions, especially in our service toward him, we eventually come to a place where we for sure will destroy ourselves. And this is not what Jesus wants for us. This is not what he wants for us to use us to rescue the world through his truth. He wants us to be motivated by his love. Now, when I think of loving people, and we all probably have someone in mind that we think of when we think of loving people. But when I think of loving people, I think of my wife. A lot has, a lot has changed since the last time I was up here. I wasn't married before. I've, I've gotten married and, and we've, we've gotten a house together. And I don't have kids in spite of what my wardrobe would say. But I, I have a wife now. And, and she's the most loving person I know. And and she's not even in the room. I'm not, I'm not trying to get brownie points. I, that's literally true. And many of you who know her would, would agree with me that she's so kind and so sweet and so gentle and so caring. She, everyone wonders like what she's doing with Joe Oval. I don't know, but let's, let's not let her in on that secret that, that I don't deserve her, okay? But, but she's the most loving person I know. And so it came as quite a surprise to me to learn that She's not loving 24 hours a day. <laughs> now, now, don't get me wrong. In all of her waking moments, she is the kindest, sweetest, gentlest, genuinely nicest person I know in all of her waking moments. The key word there is waking. So I'm still new to like waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a person beside me. And so sometimes I'll be like, oh, there's my wife. Oh, She's so sweet and kind and gentle and loving. And one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I turned over and there was my wife. And I'm like, this is wonderful. And I pull my foot over and I, I feel her foot. And I'm like, oh, my wife is laying next to me. And I, I start to rub her foot with mine. And she turned over and looked at me with wide red eyes. Her eyes were red. And she snarled at me and turned over and scooted to the edge of her bed. And I was like, oh my. I don't know who this lady is. Well, you'd think I'd learned my lesson, but a couple weeks later, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not real quick on the draw. A, a, couple, a couple of weeks later, I woke up in the middle of the night again, and I'm like, oh, there's my wife. She's next to me. She's so sweet and kind. And I just kind of sat up and was just looking at her. I'm like, oh. And I didn't know that she was half asleep, half awake, and she opened her eyes and punched me. She's the most loving person I know when she's awake. <laughs> when she's awake, when she's asleep, don't call, don't text, don't write, don't, nothing. When she's awake, she's the most loving person I know. Some of us have, so we started out loving and we've worked ourselves and served ourselves into a sleep. And now we're just walking around like Jesus-serving zombies who only know how to do the thing and we don't even have love in our hearts to drive us and motivate us. And so we're only focused on the task ahead. I once heard someone say, let your vision be no greater than the next person you meet. Whew. 
That's powerful. Like what if the next person you meet was, was God bringing an opportunity your way, but when we've worked ourselves into a sleep, if you will, we can't do that. We're only focused on the task at hand and checking things off our list and we punch our wonderful husband in the face at night. Some of us have lulled ourselves into a sleep with our work and Jesus would come to us and say, um, this is something I'm, I have against you. This is, this, is a, this is a problem I have. You, you, have to, you have to wake up. Your love is gone. Your love is gone. Now, it's, it's, it's hard to rally people to serve, to do like a cattle call and say, we all need to be serving Jesus more. We all need to be serving the church more. It's even harder to try to whip up love in other people. I can't even make up love in my own heart. It, 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 like if you get alone and just think about it hard enough, like you'll somehow be more loving. Does that work for you? Not for me. It makes me matter. I become more hateful. <laughs> we, can't, we can't make ourselves more loving. There's no way. The only way we can become more loving is to look to who? Jesus, Jesus, he, he's, the, he's the truly loving one. And the Bible says in 1 John, which was written by the same friend of Jesus who wrote the book of Revelation to a church that he was a leader in that, that may actually have been the church in Ephesus. He wrote these words to them. He said, we love him. We love God because he first loved us. That's the only reason we have any love for him is because we see how much he's loved us. We see that, that Jesus, who was ruling and reigning over all of the universe, left the glory and splendor of his kingdom in heaven and came to earth as a baby. He came to earth and he was born of a poor couple in this backwater nation in the middle of the world. And he came into squalor. He gave up all that he owned before as the ruler of the universe to put on human flesh so that one day he would grow up and lay down his life for us to cleanse us from our sins, to set us free from all that would hold us back from knowing him and loving him. When we see that that's who he is, when we believe that, it's really hard to not love him. When we catch a glimpse that this is really who Jesus is, that he's the king of heaven and yet he came to earth in the most vulnerable way and he let us hurt him because he loved us so much. It's hard to not love that. In the book of John, we call it the gospel of John. It's, it's really kind of a, like a biography of Jesus written by the same author of the book of Revelation, a good friend of Jesus named John. And he, he writes this book to tell the story of Jesus's life. And there are four books like this in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We call them the Gospels. And John is a little bit different from the other ones. It, each one tells the story of Jesus from a different perspective. And John tells it from almost a completely different perspective than the other three do. We get a lot more of the things that Jesus had to say. We get a little bit more glimpse into some of the things that he did. We see more of his miracles 
in the book of John than in the other ones. And what we learn is that the night that that Jesus was betrayed, and, and most of us know the story, he sits at a table with his 12 closest friends. We call them the apostles or the disciples. He's sitting at a table with them, and they're celebrating the Jewish Passover feast, and he, he breaks a loaf of bread, and he passes it around, and he says, this represents my body, which is gonna be broken for you. And they're all like, what are you talking about, Jesus? He pours a cup of wine and he, he passes it around and he says, this represents my blood, which is going to be shed for you. And they're all like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Even though for the past three years, he's been reminding them, one day I'm going to be arrested and they're, they're going to take me and they're going to crucify me. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. He's been reminding them, them of this over and over and over again, but they're kind of dense like me and they don't get it at first. And they're saying that again at this, at this moment, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And He's showing them that what's happening there in that moment, what they're remembering, that, that God, when he rescued his people from Egypt through Moses many years before, and they took a lamb and they killed it and they spread its blood over the door so, so the angel of death would pass over their home. He's showing them, this is what I'm about to do for you. My blood's about to be shed and, and you're not gonna receive judgment from God because of what I'm about to do for you. He's sitting with them at this moment and John gives us this picture in John chapter 13, verse one. He says, it was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Another way that that might be translated is he loved them completely. He loved them with a full and a complete and an endless love. And he's sitting at this table with them and the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Most of us know that story that one of his closest friends who followed him around for years eventually betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Judas is at the table here. Judas is sharing this meal with Jesus and the rest of them. Verse three says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and he was returning from God. And it, it's like John is telling us Jesus is at the height of self-awareness. He knows completely who he was before he came to this earth. He knows completely who he is in that moment and that very soon he'll be ruling and reigning over all of the universe again. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. And Judas was in the room at the table. And Jesus knew that he'd come from God. And Judas is at the table. And Jesus, Jesus knew that he was returning from God. And Judas is at the table. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, he starts to wash their feet. And we, we'd have, we don't do that in our culture. Some Christian traditions do a foot washing ceremony. We don't do that here because you, you don't want to do that for me. It, it, it's just, it's just kind of weird. Can you imagine washing someone else's feet? But, but for them in their time, it was, it was a part of their, their culture, what they did. Today, it, it looks like this for us. You go into someone's home, you come into my home, and I'll say, hey, why don't you take your shoes off? Make yourself at home. That means two things. I want you to feel comfortable to have your shoes off, but I also don't want you tracking your dirty shoes into my house. <laughs> Back in that day, 
People who were wealthy had a servant who lived in their home for people who walked in, most of whom were not wearing shoes. And if they were wearing any kind of footwear, it was just a sandal. And so their feet got really dirty on the dusty dirt roads. And so they'd come in and the owner of the home would say, hey, why don't you let my servant wash your feet for a while? Which is one way of saying, why don't we make you more comfortable with clean feet? And I don't want your dirty feet tracking into my house. And so it was a menial task to wash another person's feet. And Jesus gets up from the meal. He he wraps a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, even Judas's feet, the man who would later betray him. He washes their feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, Jesus knows what Judas is up to. He, he knows what's about to happen. In fact, he's about to reveal this to them later in the meal that one of you is going to betray me. And by the way, I know who it is. It's, it's not a surprise. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. And yet he takes this time to still stoop down and wash the feet of his soon-to-be betrayer. But check this out. He comes to Simon Peter and he says to Simon Peter, Lord, are you going to wash Simon Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Which I feel like is something that I might say if Jesus were trying to wash my feet. Like, you can't wash my feet. I, sh- I should be washing your feet. Jesus was, was baptized when he was 30 years old. And the person that he went to to be baptized by said, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. That's kind of what's happening here with Peter. Peter's like, I can't wash your feet. Let, let, let me get up. Let me pour some water. Let me take a towel. And let me wash your feet, Jesus. Let me serve. Jesus, I'm the only servant in this relationship. You know my works, Jesus. You know my deeds. You know my hard work. You know my perseverance. You know that that no matter what, Peter would say later, no matter what, even if everyone else leaves you, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And yet he's the same one who that very night denies him three times because he's afraid of being associated with him. And Jesus says to Peter, You don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And Peter insists, no, you shall never wash my feet. It's pretty bold to stand up to Jesus like that. You'll never wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter, if you you don't let me serve you, you can't be on my team. If you don't let me do this, we're, we're not together. So, so often we think we're the only servant in the relationship and we've got to keep going and we've got to keep working hard and we've got to keep doing all that we can to stay in good standing with God or make sure that other people realize that we're good servants. And all of that is good. All of it is, is right. Jesus told the Ephesians, He never said, stop. He said, I know what you're doing and it's good and I love it. But listen, you've left your first love. Somewhere along the way, we stopped realizing that Jesus was truly the only good servant in the relationship. He's the only one who can serve. And we come to him with all of our good works and our good deeds. And we say, look at what I've done for you, Lord. And it just blows away in the wind because it fades He's the only one who does anything that lasts. He's the only one who's the true servant 
in the relationship. If, if we want to, to love him, we've got to look at what he did here. We've got to see the humility that exists with Jesus and that it didn't stop there. But still today, he, he comes to each of us in our own way and he, he stoops to us and he says, listen, I want you to let me serve you. Now, for some of us, this sounds ridiculous. And we would say, Jesus, I am supposed to serve you. I'm the servant in this relationship. You let me do the work. And some of us maybe are like Judas, where we've just about completely turned our backs on him. Some of us are just hanging on by a little thread and, and we're, we're just looking for the next out to leave. And Jesus would still come to us and say, why don't you let me make you clean? Some of us don't want Jesus to come and serve us because we think that we're too dirty for Jesus to come to. We think we're too unclean for him to wash. He's not intimidated by any of it. He stoops down and washes the feet of the man who will soon betray him, of the man who will soon deny him. And later on, he tells them, I've given you all an example. He's the most powerful man in the room. And he's getting down and he's washing their feet. And he says, I never stop doing this for my people. If we truly want to serve like Jesus, we have to look at this and say, it's not just that loving people will get to serve, it's that Jesus, whose love is perfect and complete and full, has already served me. And when I look at that, I have no choice but to say, whatever you want from me, Jesus, I'll do for you. I'll, I'll serve you no, no matter what you want, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll give you whatever. But we continually have to come and let him come to us, wash us clean, remind us of his love for us, and make us new. In, in just a few moments, the band will be returning and they're going to sing another song. And when they do, we'll have some time to to thank and pray and, and consider some of the things we talked about today. And some of us are, are feeling like Judas where we want to run away. Some of us are feeling like Peter where, where we, no, 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 no. I, I'm the one who's working hard here, Jesus. I'm the one who's charging ahead. In all of our circumstances, Jesus is going to come along to us and say, listen, listen, I'm, I'm in charge here and I'm the real servant. So while we worship again, and while we have time to pray again, why don't we ask him, what, what is it that you want to come to me and wash away from me? And in what ways are you wanting to serve me? Because we look back and we see that that's all that he's ever done for us, is served us. He served us by leaving heaven. He served us by laying his life down on the cross. He served us by walking out of the tomb on that first Easter Sunday and he continues to serve us by showing us more and more of his love. Let's ask him how he wants to do that for us today. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that you are a good, humble. It's amazing that you are such a humble servant. We don't know what we would do without you. We don't know what, what we would do without your love. We don't know what we would do 
without you coming to us. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to serve you, but we can't do it without the love that you put in our hearts. Show us again today who you are. Show us again today the love that you have for us. And remind us that without you, we can do nothing. Bring us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 